You know, some people live life kind of normally. Some people live life a little tentatively, like they're not certain, they're not sure. And then you run into a few people who live life boldly. They're confident, even audacious. And, uh, you know, take a baseball game, for example. Uh, let's say you are the batter and you hit a ground ball to third base, all right? What you do, if you're a normal player, is you run, run it out. You run to first base, the third baseman throws you out, you're out, you go sit in the dugout. That's what a normal person does. A couple years ago, almost to this day, um, the Chicago Cubs a player, Javi Baez, whose nickname was El Mago, or Magic, uh, uh, the great, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he hit a ground ball to third base, and instead of, he did run to first base, but he does something unusual when he gets to first, towards first base. Watch what happens, check it out. Baez hits it on the ground to third, Gonzalez. This is so good. <laughs> oh my goodness, wow! Oh, you gotta be kidding me! You've gotta be they kidding me! is incredible. Just the audacity to run all the way to first and then turn around and run back home. Nobody does that. Who does that? Javi Baez did that. Just, it caught them so off guard and for momentarily, the Pittsburgh Pirates first baseman completely had a, forgot the rules of baseball. And he's throwing the ball over the field and Javi Baez is running to first, he's running to second, keep going. He's invincible, he can do anything. He's incredible. They say all this. He has confidence. That's what the difference is. He has confidence. And I want to say to us all today, as we look to Proverbs chapter 21, it is time for confidence. One of my concerns as I look around the people of God, not just here at Valley Church, but around the, the, the nation, is that there's so much lack of confidence of the people of God. There, there's so much kind of wringing of the hands. Oh, what's going to happen? They look around the world and yeah, there's some freaky stuff going down and there's some concerning stuff going down and there's some evil stuff going down, whatever. But they, they were just, some folks are just overcome by a lack of confidence. They're, they're just worried, what's going to happen? They can't sleep. They don't know what to do. They, they, they find themselves just fretting over them. And, and sometimes it's not national level stuff or world level stuff. Sometimes it's just personal level stuff where the trials of life hit us or just ordinary life. We're trying to raise a family. We're trying to succeed in school. We're trying to do our job well, whatever it is. And Sometimes we just play tentatively. We're uncertain. We're like, what do I do next? And, and there's, this kind of, there's this kind of lack of confidence. And where does that come from? And I want to say to you that there's a way to regain that confidence. There's a, uh, there's a way to find confidence, not in ourselves and our ability, not in our circumstances, not in what's going on around us, not even in the news that we get, uh, personally or, or, or globally or, or the things that happen to us, that there's a confidence that we can find in God and who God is. And here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible never shows the Lord in a posture of fear. 
God isn't wringing his hands as he rules from heaven. God is not fretting and saying, what is going to go on now? What will I do? Rather, the Bible has the idea and the presentation of who God is, that he is supremely confident because he's supremely powerful, all-knowing, everywhere, all, he's all everything. He's omnipresent, omniscient, all those things. And so when we believe in a God like that, then we can gain confidence from him and it really flows into the rest of our lives. It's not, we don't get arrogant, we remain humble but we gain a confidence and a kind of audacity almost that we're going to live life boldly, that we're not going to let life happen to us and we're not going to be victims of circumstances. Rather, we are going to be victors in Jesus Christ. We are going to find our way to victory and we may go through difficulties and trials and temptations and valleys and hardships, but we know who the author of the story is, and we know how we're going to end, this story will end in triumph, in eternity, through Jesus Christ. So I want to take you to Proverbs chapter 21 with that kind of idea in mind, that it's time to get back our, if you will, biblical swagger. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about a confidence in God. All right, here we go. Uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. Here is the picture of the world or a nation being ruled by a king. A king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. God directs it wherever he chooses. Now, a lot of people, their picture of God kind of directing the affairs of the earth is kind of like this guy playing the whack-a-mole game. You ever play whack-a-mole? You got that? There we go. So, it's just like this thing arises and he's got to knock that down. This thing arises, he's got to knock that down. This thing arises, and he's just going crazy. And that's how we often picture God as responding to what's happening in the world. And that's often how we respond. But the book of Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 has a very different way of looking at life. There are no accidents. God is supremely in control. He made the heavens and the earth and he is king of all kings. So no matter what's going on around us, there's a king who rules. In fact, says the king's heart, that is any ruler that, that is in place, ultimately what happens is under the control of God and he can direct the course of the king's heart however he chooses, like a channel of water. It's like irrigation. It's like, it's like he wants it to go this way. It's the way it goes. Just like he carved out the rivers, the mountains, the oceans. That's how he directs. Uh, the king's heart is directed in the Lord's hand. Doesn't mean the king never chooses evil. There's plenty of biblical examples of this, plenty of historical examples of this. But ultimately it shows history is in the hand of God. So here's the first thing that we, to regain our confidence. The Lord guides the course of history. Do you really believe that? Or do you think it's whack-a-mole? You think he's just caught off guard? No, we believe a God who is completely and totally in control. One author put it this way. Almighty God has total rule over people's hearts, even king's hearts. And as easily as he directs rivers back and forth as they move water toward the sea, and as easily as a farmer directs waters by channels uh, for the benefit of his fields, so God turns the hearts of even kings and rulers, any direction he desires to accomplish his ultimate holy purposes. Let the Lord be magnified. May he be bigger. Magnify the Lord. 
But may we have a bigger idea, a bigger vision of who God is. He says, knowing this fact, you, we can pray confidently for kings and all those in authority, as, as the Apostle Paul directs us, knowing that God can and does direct the course of history. This is the secret of the confidence that people in the Old and New Testament have. Even when they were under foreign oppression, they had a confidence that God was ultimately in control. We can follow him in all circumstances. He totally controls lesser men and women and simpler circumstances. Just as he does that, so you can fully trust him in all your situations of your life, no matter what's happening. This circumstance that happens in at work, the circumstance that happens at the doctor's office, this circumstance that happens in your family's life, whatever it is, there is a God who reigns. Doesn't mean that bad things don't happen, they do. But ultimately it's not spinning out of control. It is directed in hands of God and we trust him that he ultimately knows what he's doing. And when you can't always see what his hand is doing, we trust his heart, right? Okay, let's keep going. That's the first way. You gotta believe that the Lord guides the course of history. Here's an, verse three. Doing what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Sometimes in both Old and New Testament, the people of God kind of lost their passion for God. Um, they, they kind of wandering off in other directions. It's kind of like a, a pop that loses its fizz. It's the ingredients are all there, but there's not much happening. It's flat, it's, it's not tasty, it's not, there's no fizz there. And that's kind of what happens to the people of God. Maybe in your life sometimes, maybe in my life sometimes. And, and we're going through the motions. This is what he's talking about here. It's people that are, are, are in the Old Testament, they were sacrificed. And they, they do the thing, they do the sacrifices at the appointed hours, the appointed seasons, appointed festivals. They're going through the motions because it's what God wants. I guess we'll put this on the altar here. I'll give this up and so forth. And it's all just a routine. It's all just part of a game they're playing. And this passage reminds us that God's looking for something more than that from us. And he has more than that for us. He says what he wants for us is to live this incredibly righteous life, live in the right way, doing the right thing, making the right choices and doing what's just, what's fair for the people around you, what's loving for the people around you, what's like Jesus in the way that we treat people. That's what God wants. And when we get on that track, instead of the, okay, I go to church, I do this, I read this, I say this, I act this. When actually we ask Holy Spirit, guide my life. Holy Spirit, take over my life. I yield my life to you. I wanna do what's right. I wanna do what's fair. That's what I wanna do. My life belongs to you. That is a, that brings a smile to the face of God, says this verse. Okay, look at verse 21. The one who pursues righteousness. I like that word, pursue. And it's not like, ah, oh, you know me. No, it's a chase, it's hunt, right? I love how the message puts it. Whoever goes hunting for what is right and kind finds life itself, glorious life. This one says, the one who pursues righteousness and faithful love, that's that steadfast love, that's that steady love, that's that loyal love to God and to others, will find life as it's meant to be lived, righteousness. It's like, yeah, this is the right thing. This is the right way to live life. And honor, God says, I delight to honor those who honor me. 
He wants to bring honor into your life. He wants to give you opportunities that you haven't had before. Doesn't mean he's going to give you all success and never ending anything but pleasures and goodness and 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 uh, and rainbows and cookies and 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 puppies. You know, sometimes life's hard, but this is where the life is. This is where you're going to find life and righteousness is honor. And when you pursue it, when you chase it, when you have some passion here, when you regain your confidence and say, I'm going after the Lord. I'm not just strolling. I'm walking with Christ and I'm keeping step with him and I'm chasing after him. And here's what the principle we learn. We get our confidence when we truly believe the Lord rewards authentic faith that's not just going through the motion. We truly believe that the Lord rewards this. I want to give you a verse um, from the book of Hebrews. Let me just read it to you. It's Hebrews, very famous chapter, chapter 11, all right? And here's what it says about faith. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. So we have a faith in what we cannot see, but it is nevertheless just as real as the things we can see. Now it says here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, now without faith, believing in the unseen God, pursuing who you cannot see to deliver to you the life that you want in Christ. Now without faith, he says, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't bring a smile to the God. Unless you truly believe in him, trust in him, you can't bring a smile to the face of God. Since, he says, it's impossible to please God without faith, since the one who draws near to him must, two things, believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So that you have to have this faith that he actually exists, that he's real, that he's just, he's more real than anything that you see. A lot of this stuff is fake and a mirage and it's not really going to last. And some of it's not even, uh, even what it pretends to be. But God is real and true and he exists and he rules and he reigns and he loves and he forgives. You believe that God exists. Do you really believe that? And then he says, you must also believe that he rewards those who seek him. And then it gives a whole list of a bunch of examples in Hebrews chapter 11 of people who believed the unseen God was real. Moses, I, 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 I go back to that. Moses, here's what, here's what Moses says. Um, it, it says about Moses, I should say. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, it says, listen to this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused all the seen riches and treasures and so forth. He says, and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So here's the thing with Moses. He said, I'm weighing it out. I got the treasures of Egypt and the pleasures of sin, and I've got what God offers. And he chose suffering with the people of God rather than to enjoy those fleeting Short-term pleasures of sin. And here's why. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to his reward. In other words, Moses looked at him and says, I got the treasures of Egypt. I got the pleasures of sin. I got the suffering and reproach of following God and following Christ. Which am I going to choose? He weighed them out and he said, in the end, following God, 
trusting in Jesus is way more valuable because I know the reward. I know how he can reward me in this life with blessing and goodness and, and forgiveness and, and, and wholeness and joy and peace. And in the life to come, he can reward me beyond my wildest dreams. He weighed them out and he says, there's no contest. And he had his confidence. He was willing. You know the story of Moses? He's willing to go up against the most powerful person, ruler on earth, Pharaoh. He had confidence. He says, let my people go. And he had this ultimate confidence in God who is more powerful than the people and rulers and kingdoms they saw all around him. That's how we gain confidence because we believe that the Lord rewards authentic faith. What about the other side? What about the people who aren't following God? And sometimes it looks like, you know, they're doing pretty well. It's like they're getting ahead. And, and sometimes it's, it's real. They're, they have, they have more money or they have more, it seems more friends. They have more pleasures. They have all this stuff going for them. And sometimes, you know, we start to envy them. We get a little jealous. Proverbs says over and over again, don't envy the wicked. And why is that? Well, I'm just going to give you a little taste of why we shouldn't envy them. Instead, find our confidence in God. Proverbs 21, again, verse 7. The violence of the wicked sweeps them away because they refuse to act justly. In other words, what goes around comes around. Eventually, those who are criminal, those who are pursuing their own thing, those who are God-defiant and are shaking their fist at God and do what they want, and they're pursuing lives of violence and waywardness and just doing what they want to do, eventually it's going to catch up to them and they're going to be swept away. Sometimes you see that in this life, but certainly in the age to come. Verse 10, a wicked person desires evil. They just have in our heart, they want to do what they want to do. And, you know, whatever, God, I'll do what I want. And they want evil. They don't want God. They don't want the unseen God. They're not pursuing righteousness. They're not pursuing love. They're pursuing what they want. Evil, running away from God. They desire that. He has no consideration for his neighbor. This is the picture of the ultimate evil, is when we don't love our neighbors. We shake our fist at God, we desire evil, and then we say, I don't care what happens to my neighbors. It's what is all about me. It's all about what I want. No consideration how it affects other people. That's a heart that is going against God. What happens in the long run? Verse 12, the righteous one considers the house of the wicked. He brings the wicked to ruin. In other words, eventually, that house of cards is going to fall. It may last for a long time. It may go decades. It even may appear to go for an entire lifetime, though almost seldom does that happen. It eventually catches up to people. That sort of, those sorts of choices, that sort of life. And God has built into life. He, he loves all people, but he has built into life the consequences of defying him. And he does this ultimately with a purpose of mercy to bring people to repentance and trust in him and find the life that's in him. But he will let, he allows people to go their own way. And they do. Many choose to do that. And, and why not do that? Because ultimately the Lord opposes, here's the reason, the Lord opposes the God defiant. There's no hope in that direction. There's no confidence in that direction. Don't go there. Don't believe that lie. I love the Old Testament, one great story of this, which we don't have time to go into, but read it sometime for yourself. It's the book of Daniel, 
And it's this king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was this ruler of this incredible empire. And he thought he was all that. And he erects statues for people to worship and puts a lot of pressure on Daniel. But he elevates Daniel. Eventually, Daniel lives faithfully in Babylon and he gets raised to power and so forth. But still in the back of it is Nebuchadnezzar who thinks in his mind he's all that. At one point, Daniel tells him a prophecy. He says in Daniel 4, uh, verse 25, You, Nebuchadnezzar, will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle, be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. As for the command, he goes on uh, to say that this is what's going to happen in your life. Verse 28 all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. The king explained, exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. And at that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So he basically lost his mind. And he just became like an animal, Daniel book says. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Nebuchadnezzar says this. Then I praised the Most High and I honored and glorified him who lives forever Here's what Nebuchadnezzar says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generations. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, Nebuchadnezzar says, my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. What an incredible historical lesson of how God can handle people, all peoples, anywhere, the big guy who thinks he's all that. The, the, the person over here who's arrogantly shaking their fist at God. The person who's walking away to pursue all this other stuff. God knows he can do whatever he wants to turn them around, to change the circumstances, to bring them down. Whatever he decides to do, he can do. And that's when we regain our confidence. Instead of wringing our hands, oh, look at the, the situation of the world. We're confident. Doesn't mean we aren't concerned. Doesn't mean we aren't on our knees praying. We are. But we have a, a confidence that there's a God who's reigning. He's still in control. He's not lost it. He hasn't lost track of us or you or me. Keep going, verse 13. Here's another one. The one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will himself also call out and not be answered. 
Here's the simple principle. You want confidence? Get with the Lord because the Lord cares about the poor. You know, this is, in the ancient world, the poor, for the most part, were utterly despised. They were looked down upon. People spat upon them. People treated them like dirt. They were less than human to a lot of people. And people bullied them and took advantage of them and oppressed them. I mean, the whole old and new has evidence of this sort of attitude. And to to all the bullies of the poor, the Lord says, you shut your ears to their cries, I'm not going to hear you either. You shut your ears to them, I care about them. Jesus said on one occasion, you know, to, his, uh, to those he rewarded, he said, you know, uh, come into my kingdom for you, you clothed me, you fed me, you did all this. Said, well, Lord, when did we do this? When did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you poor? When, did we, when were you sick? When were you uh, in prison and we visited you? They can't, the people of God in, the, in, the, in this last scene, they can't imagine it. And Jesus said, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. Very sort of similar idea going on here in Proverbs. What you do to these, you do to me. You treat them like dirt. I'm not going to hear your prayers. I mean, 1 John, I love it. 1 John 3.16. The New Testament has a very similar kind of uh, feeling. Um, It says, this is how we have come to know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. He says, you're seeing, he he goes on in chapter uh, four of 1 John. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from God. The one who loves God must also love his brother and his sister, and especially those who are less fortunate than us. God is this incredible advocate for the downhearted. It says in other places, other kinds, there's physical, uh, material poverty, there's spiritual poverty, there's, there's, uh, there's a poverty of, of a broken heart. It says the Lord's near to the brokenhearted. He cares about people who are suffering with uh, mental health issues, he, who are suffering with grief and sorrow. He, he, his heart goes out to people who, who, are, who don't know where the next uh, meal is coming from. And all sorts of other trials, his heart goes out to them. And ours does too. It has to. This is when we gain our confidence. When we know we're in the will of God is when we're caring about people who are less fortunate than us. Guys, there's a reason that we do Love You Des Moines Days for nine days. Now, it's emblematic or symbolic of what we do all year long here at Valley Church. We care. We have uh, people at Valley Church, God bless your hearts for your generosity, for your compassion, because through your generosity and through your compassion, we're able to bless so many people in this community. The people who are impoverished, the people who have disabilities, the people who are uh, uh, struggling because they're trying to make ends meet because they're single parents, the people who are friendless or lonely, the people who say, I just want to connect with God somehow, whatever it is, our heart goes out to them. People just want friends. Our heart goes out to people who are crying out for whatever they're crying out for, community, transcendence, belonging, material needs. 
And the people of Valley Church in these nine days are reaching out to people and offering sorts of practical help, companionship, fun, enjoyment, time with families, time for kids to connect, time for parents to connect with their kids, to learn new things, to advance in their careers, to all sorts of 300 ways to bless people. It's all happening in nine days. And if you're not already involved, please go online to Lovey Des Moines Days or LoveyDesMoines.com and you will see all these different ways. I mean, there's 300 activities. There's surely something you can do. There's people crying out. Some of them are crying out in need for material need. And we certainly hear their cries and we do everything we can to assist them at Valley Church through the generosity of God's people. And there are other kinds of needs as well. So today, I unapologetically call on you to do two things. Number one, to get involved in Lovey Des Moines Days and an ongoing loving the neighbors around us. Remember the evil? They have no consideration for their neighbors. The people of God are just the opposite. Their neighbors' needs, their neighbors' uh, uh, desires in their heart to, to have companionship and, to, and to, 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 to even to have this transcendent knowledge of who God is. We're there for them. We care about them. That's the first thing. Get involved in loving our community in whatever way you're wired. There's hundreds of opportunities. And secondly, I unapologetically ask you to give generously to the mission of Valley Church. You give weekly, monthly, however you give, generously. Do more so generously uh, to, to the ministry of Valley Church because there's incredible things that we can accomplish together and are accomplishing together. So I ask you to do that. Live generously and also be generous with your heart attitude and with your availability to the people around you who are neighbors in need, whatever their needs are, material, social, friendship, direction, a listening ear, be there, be generous, volunteer, be there for others. The Lord cares. He has a heart of compassion. Keep going. Verse 22, a wise person went up against a city of warriors and brought down its secure fortress. So, what is the, the confidence here? Um, this is the confidence we have when we truly believe that the Lord empowers the wise. Um, so the picture is there's this big, bad kingdom with this is arsenal and this fortress, and it looks like they absolutely cannot be penetrated. Remember, this is a proverb. It isn't always describing an actual situation. It's just saying this is the way God works. And what he's saying is that wisdom overcomes brute force, brings down the secure fortress. The power of God, people who live strategically with confidence for God over time are going to triumph in life doesn't mean, I'm not talking about some kind of weird prosperity gospel. I'm just talking about triumphing in life, living life as God intended. They're going to triumph over those who are relying on human resources, human strength, brute power. There's a lot of people in this world, and, and you know what I'm talking about. They're after power. They're after influence. They're after money. They're after pleasure. And they are doing everything they can to secure those things because that's their fortress. That's how I'm important. And what God is saying here is there's no confidence in that whatsoever. In fact, you know all the stories. You've read them. We read them hundreds of times, but the allure is still there for us. They all end in sorrow and sadness 
and tragedy, and we read their stories over and over again, it all just comes crashing down around them. But if we really believe the Lord empowered the wise, what we would do is we would take this book, which is the wisdom of God, we would take our faith in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and you're saying, I'm banking on that. I'm not going this way. I am trusting fully in what, who Christ is and what he does. So, I mean, just a perfect example in life, life of Jesus. He's about to be nailed to a cross. He's about to be executed by the Roman government. And Pilate's there deciding the trial and so forth. And he says, don't you know, Jesus, that I, can, I have the power, I have the authority to release you? And Jesus is there. And you know what he says? You have no power except it's given to you by my father. Jesus, it's amazing. He's about to be nailed to a cross. There's a confidence. There's a calm. There's no fear. There's no, Jesus isn't afraid of Pilate. He's not afraid of the cross. He knows the agony of it. He fully understands what he's going to do, pay for the sins, our sins, the sins of the world. He knows that's going to happen. But he endured the cross. And he faces it with courage and confidence because he knows Pilate's just a pawn in world history in the hands of God. We wouldn't even have even heard of Pontius Pilate if it weren't for Jesus Christ. Pontius Pilate, does his reign still uh, uh, endure? Absolutely not. The guy had a short, very short little, you know, governorship over Judea, and then he's gone. I mean, the only reason we know him is because Jesus Christ. So this, what would appear are the wisest of men, Jesus Christ, who seems powerless. He completely triumphs over Pilate. He completely triumphs over death, over sin, over all the kingdoms of this world, and he reigns forever. And, every, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He triumphs over all these other kingdoms. So we actually believe that this carpenter of uh, from Nazareth, this Jesus of Nazareth, this carpenter of Galilee is actually the Lord of heaven who reigns and rules, and we're following him. We're putting all our confidence in him because we believe that the, he is the Lamb of God and he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah who will reign. That's how you gain confidence. If you're scared of a pilot, if you're scared of this situation, if your circumstances are overwhelming you, can I just encourage you today? Regain your confidence in God. Find that he's there for you because he's triumphed over and over again against all these secure fortresses that look like they were going to last. And the church of Jesus Christ endures and the Roman Empire is long gone. It's in the dustbin of history. And the church that Jesus founded is 2,000 years old and going strong and will to eternity. Verse 30, no wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel will prevail against the Lord. You see, human beings... We got our wisdom. We got ideas. We, we write books. We got these great plans and so forth. We, we got understanding. We, 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 we're diving and gaining more knowledge about the universe that God created that he's known from, from all eternity. But we're uh, learning about that. We're writing things. We're writing articles. We're posting stuff. Everything we understand. We got it all. And then no counsel. Here's how you should live your life. Here's how you should direct the course of where you're going. And God's saying, get all that, but nothing's going to be better or more powerful than I am. 
no wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel will prevail against the Lord. Here's your confidence. This simple principle. The Lord will never lose. He's not a loser. He's a winner. 100% a winner. Put all your confidence and your trust in him. That's the winning game. That's the team you want to be aligned with. The Lord will never lose. And then verse 31. A horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. The previous verse said the Lord will never lose. It was telling us you dare not fight against the Lord. You're going to lose. This one says you dare not fight without the Lord. A horse is prepared for the day of battle. So do your best. Prepare for the worst. Get ready for difficulties and challenges that you're going to face in life. And be responsible. Absolutely. You're supposed to do your stuff. You're, you're supposed to be a responsible person. You're not just covering your eyes and not doing anything. Yeah, you prepare. You prepare for all the battles you face every single day. Raising a family. Honoring Christ. Going to work. Doing your job. Navigating through the circumstances of this world. The temptations you face. You are preparing for all those battles every single day. When you get down on your knees, you study God's word, you show up for worship, you honor God with your first fruits. You say, I'm going to live in alignment with Jesus Christ. I'm going to get involved in advancing his kingdom in Des Moines. I'm going to do everything I can to prepare my heart for all the spiritual things that come in my way. But ultimately, I realize the only victory, the only hope of victory I have is from the Lord. The only way any, any of us are the least bit successful is not because we're great, because we're not. God is great. I got to tell you guys, I have made so many mistakes in my life. And when you make those mistakes or you do this, whatever, and you mess this up, you just sometimes you just want to throw in the towel and, oh, well, you know, or go into this pity, self-pity. God calls us to humility. He doesn't want us to be arrogant. He never wants us to be unkind or uncharitable. He wants us to be loving and joyful and good to the people around us. Absolutely. But he wants us also to live with confidence. Not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. We find ourselves at 2023, we're at the kind of the early end of this decade, the 20s. I'm going to give it a name for those of us who are followers of Jesus. It's, it's, not, it's not the roaring 20s. Uh, it, it certainly didn't start that way. It, 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 it's not the soaring 20s where, you know, everything is just going great and we're just flying high and everybody's having a good time and getting along and everything. I mean, there's... Crazy stuff and polarization, all sorts of crazy things happen in our world and in your personal life. So it's not the roaring 20s, it's not the soaring 20s. What I'm going to suggest to you is these, for the followers of Jesus, are the daring 20s. These, this is the decade where we dare to believe God, where we dare to do hard things, where we dare to trust in Jesus Christ, no matter what our circumstances, where we dare to obey when it's difficult, when we dare to say no to temptation and we dare to say yes to God and the high call that we have in Jesus Christ. People who are confident in the Lord, they're freely forgiving other people because we've been forgiven through Jesus and his blood. 
People who are confident in the Lord have joy in the midst of sorrow and difficulty. Yes, they feel it, but they have joy no matter what. People who are confident in the Lord have peace when everyone else around them is freaking out. They know there's a God in heaven who's watching over them. People who are confident in the Lord are incredibly generous because they know that everything that came to them is from the hand of God. He's the source of every blessing I have. So I give it away to advance his kingdom because ultimately I'm not an owner. I'm just a manager of everything he has given to me. People who are confident in the Lord are serving him with passion and with confidence and they're caring for people in need and they're reaching out to their neighbors because they know this is the way of life. People who are confident in God choose the hard course of doing what's right instead of what's convenient or what's easy. People who are confident in the Lord choose to follow Jesus because they know in the end, that's where victory comes from. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these days that we find ourselves in. May we live these days as the daring 20s, daring to believe, daring to trust you, daring to follow you, daring to serve you. And help us not to be intimidated by our circumstances. We, we at times will have self-doubt. Lord, it's okay for us to doubt ourselves because we, we make lots of decisions and we're not certain about them but help us never to lose our confidence in you and help us to get to regain whatever has been lost to us in this decade so that we can stride forth with confidence, our heads held high, not because we're great, but because you're great. You're the king of heaven and you rule and you reign forever. Everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you all and have a great, great weekend.